We are so glad that y'all are here today. We are going to be continuing our series through The Chosen, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But uh, for right now, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. Can we all stand up for the reading of God's Word? Got a long passage for you this morning. Here we go. Starting in verse 5, Jesus sent out the 12 after giving them instructions. Don't take the roads that lead to the Gentiles, and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim, the kingdom of God has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Don't acquire gold, silver, or copper for your money belts. Don't take a traveling bag for the roads or an extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his food. When you enter any town or village, find out who is worthy and stay there until you leave. Greet a household when you enter it, and if the household is worthy, let your peace be on it. But if it is unworthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet uh, when you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, God, that we get a glimpse into this conversation with you and your disciples. And so, Lord, I pray as we take a few moments and we dig into this conversation that we would pull out um, truths that apply to us and truths about who you are and what you have for us, that we might um, better represent you and better share your name. Lord, I pray that we would just approach your Bible with humility, knowing that it is your word and is authoritative. And we leave here not um, drawing our own opinions of it, but rather we lean here, leave here leaning on your truth and what you have for us. Lord, speak to us in this moment. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, y'all can have a seat. All right, question. How many of you have ever been put in a situation where you feel completely overwhelmed and underprepared? Okay, good. <laughs> How many parents are in the room? Let's just say that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, goodness. For me, it was when I was in college. Um, I was student teaching. My bachelor's degree was in music education. And in music education, you don't get to define whether you are elementary or secondary. Like, it's just one big thing. And so when it comes time to student teach, you have to do a stint of student teaching in both the elementary and in the secondary. Uh, I don't know if you know me. I wouldn't trust myself with elementary kids. It's a wonder that my three-year-old is still alive. Um, so I had to do a stint in the elementary. And, and here's to just show you how unequipped I was for this. Uh, the first day there, within the first five minutes, a third grader walks into the room just crying and I'm used to working with older uh, students and adults. And I'm like, okay, if he's crying, something's wrong. And the teacher went over there and she was like, hey, what's wrong? And he's just blubbering away. And, um, and then the teacher looked at him and said, do you miss your mom? And he said, yeah. And I'm like, is that what this is? Is that what elementary is? We're just, we're dealing with missing parents. Okay. There was a specific time 
where uh, the, my supervising teacher said, hey, you got it. You're doing this lesson today. So I was in charge of the third and fourth grade class for music that day. And we were doing this music game called, uh, or uh, it was like Duck, Duck, Goose. And so we were all sitting around in a circle and the kid that was it was going around doing the thing and then the other kid had to chase him and try to tag him. Like, we, all, we all know how Duck, Duck, Goose works. So they were doing that and the kid that was chasing this other kid reached out and tagged him and he wasn't trying to do this, but in some way when he tagged him, it caused the other kid to fall down. No big deal. Like we just get up and we move on. No, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. This kid got up off the ground in a white hot rage, started swinging, got a couple of licks in on this other kid and then sprinted out the door. At this moment, I'm looking around trying to find the adult in the room only to realize I am the adult in the room. <laughs> they don't give you classes on that in college, how to deal with kids pummeling each other and running out the room. So luckily my uh, supervising teacher helped us take care of the situation, got the kid found uh, and came back to me and she said, don't worry, he's a runner. And I'm like, he's a runner? It's like, is that what elementary is? Kids are just constantly running out of the room. Do we need to put those signs up uh, outside the elementary schools that say hitchhikers might be escaping elementary kids? Like, God bless you if you serve in elementary. God bless our nursery workers and our kids department because, good Lord. Okay. I was so overwhelmed in that moment, unprepared in that moment. And I believe that the disciples were probably the same way in this passage today. Just to give you some reference in today's passage, uh, Jesus has been doing ministry with the disciples for probably a year or two now, but all of the ministry that they've been doing has primarily been Jesus the one doing it. Jesus is the one that's been speaking. Jesus is the one that's been healing. Jesus is the one that's been confronting Pharisees. Jesus is the one that's been driving out demons. And the disciples have largely just been like onlookers. And in this passage today, Jesus sits down his 12 disciples and says, hey, you guys now are going to be the ones doing this. You're going to be the ones preaching. You're going to be the ones healing. You're going to be the ones that are dealing with the conflict. And it's easy to skim over this passage thinking, oh, well, they're the, they're the 12 disciples. Of course they can do that. No, like, remember, these guys are just fishermen and tax collectors and just average Joes. Like, they, they were not ready for this. And so whenever it came time to do this, they probably felt a weight of concern of how am I going to do this? How am I going to be the one that, that preaches? How am I going to be the one that heals the sick? And Jesus, on top of this, saying that they're going to go do these things, he says, also, don't take any money with you. Don't take any clothes with you. Well, of course, the clothes on their back, that'd be weird. Take clothes with you, but don't take any extra clothes. Don't take any extra staff. Don't take any extra money. Don't take any extra food. When you go from town to town to town, you are going to be completely reliant on the people in that town to provide these things for you. And not only that, Jesus says this in verse 14. He says, if anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. So not only are they going to be completely reliant on everyone that they come in contact with, but they're also going to face people who reject them. 
They're going to face entire towns that reject them and then they have to move forward. And so are you feeling the weight of it yet? Are you feeling the weight that's being placed on their shoulders? Well, like I said, we've been going through The Chosen, which is a TV series. And uh, it's depicting the life of Jesus and the disciples and the conversations they had and some of the situations that they went through. And uh, each week we're just um, taking a scene that they've talked about that's based on scripture and, and examining that scene. And so they actually depicted this very scene here and I think they did a good job communicating kind of the way and maybe even the feelings of inadequacy that the disciples must have felt. It is not sustainable for me to do all the preaching, all the healing, and ministry. I've called you to Simon's home today, and thank you, Eden, for hosting. Because our ministry will only grow, and we want it to grow, till the end of the age. There will be many more followers, and like those not here, all will have roles and responsibilities. Most will be disciples, students. But I have chosen you twelve as my apostles. You're sending us? An apostle is the same as a messenger, one who... I know what it means, Matthew. That's why I'm asking. You are my leaders. And for this mission I have for you, it's best that you spread out and not be concentrated in one place. I... I don't understand. I'm going to go home to Nazareth for a time, and while I'm there, I'm sending you out in every direction, two by two, specifically to our people only. Every direction, Rabbi? Yes, but not to the Gentiles. Not yet. That will come in time but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Just as Joshua led the 12 tribes to take the promised land. You will proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while you are on this mission, you will heal the sick and the lame by anointing them with oil. You will cast out demons. You will clean. Why are you all looking at me like that? Uh, could, could you just repeat that one more time? <laughs> I'm sending you out two by two, proclaiming as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cast out demons. Uh, how soon are we talking about here? There's that word again. I'll get to that, Simon. Hold on. Heal the sick? Cast out demons? While you are on this mission, I grant you this authority. Someday, you will have it all the time. Was that a ceremony I missed? This is it. Don't feel any different? I don't need you to feel anything to do great things. With all due respect, Rabbi, we've only just begun as students. We're not nearly qualified enough. Why would you need us for this work? He doesn't need us. He wants us. Thank you, Sim. Very good. John, 
If I needed religious leaders or qualified students for my ministry, I wouldn't have chosen... <laughs> well, you get the point. Can we get back to the part about healing the sick for one second? You will take nothing for your journey except the staff. No bread, no bag, no money. Not even Salome's food. Wear sandals and do not bring an extra tunic. We can't even bring a change of clothes? Even the wandering cynic philosophers carry a second tunic. Yes, they do. And I'd like to distinguish you from the cynics. They also carry beggar's bags for people to put gold and silver coins into. And you will not do that. You received without paying. Now give without pay. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And if anyone should not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet as you leave that house or town. Do not waste your time. You said if anyone will not listen to our words. What words exactly? What are we supposed to teach? Anything you've ever heard from me. I've only ever heard the one sermon. You heard the best one, anyway. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're <laughs> oh, so good. Uh -huh. That message was not just for the thousands that were there. It was for all who will hear it, from now until the end of the age. How will they know it, you ask? Good question, thanks for asking. You will tell them. And the places you will go are places I will soon go. So you are preparing the way for my arrival and helping ensure that more people are ready to hear the good news. The miracles you'll perform on God's authority will prove my ministry. Suppose we hit a bad streak and several towns in a row reject us, maybe for days. How are we to eat? What if it gets bad? Like it has with John. Listen carefully, all of you. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. So, you're saying we could die? There will come a time when this will become far more difficult. When persecution is an ever-present part of your ministry. When that time comes, you will follow in my footsteps and you will know what it actually means to give up your life. So this was the situation that the disciples were in. Now, here's the thing. In this passage, uh, this is a very specific context. Uh, he's specifically talking to the disciples about what they specifically need to go and their specific things. However, even though it's not written directly to us, there are principles within this passage that do apply to us. While we're not being specifically commissioned in this passage, we are being commissioned by the Bible. Right? Like, and that's the whole point of Easter, 
right? Like we gathered together and we celebrated the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, but it doesn't stop there. Like we just say, okay, Jesus is resurrected. Let's go home. After Jesus was resurrected, he appeared to the disciples and he said, now all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That commission is for us right there. And so while this passage isn't necessarily talking specifically to us, we do have a similar call that the disciples had. You, if you have placed your faith in Christ, have a similar call to what the disciples have here. And so what I want to do is um, dig into this passage because in the same way that they were likely a little bit terrified of the thought of what they're about to go do, when I say you're commissioned to go take the gospel out to others and to the world, you likely might have some of those same fears. You likely might feel inadequate in the same way that they might have. And luckily, Jesus, um, in this whole chapter, is kind of talking through different um, aspects of their journey, and he's addressing different concerns that they may have. And he's, I think he's answering some questions that we may have in that. And so when I say, go out and share the gospel with the world, some questions or concerns that you may have is, what if I don't know what to say? Or you may say, what if I face persecution and hostility? Or what if I have to give up everything for my faith? These were likely the same questions that they were thinking, and Jesus addresses these questions. And so my hope is, as we walk through and see how Jesus addresses these topics, that we might be emboldened in the same way that the, the disciples were, and that we might be able to take the gospel out into the world, and that we, we're not just a church that focuses inwardly on ourselves, but we're a church that, that fulfills the great commission of taking the gospel out to the nations. That's my hope for today. So we're going to talk through those three questions, those three concerns. What if I don't know what to say? What if I face persecution and hostility? And what if I lose everything for my faith? All right, let's get into it. First one, what if I don't know what to say? You may be all on board with sharing the gospel and taking uh, evangelism out into the world, but you might be a little bit terrified at the thought of talking to someone because you don't know what to say. Statistically speaking, that's probably you. Uh, Pastor Lee uh, shared a few, um, a survey a few weeks ago of the top fears in America. And the number one fear was public speaking. And then a few down, another fear was strangers. Well, sharing the gospel is we're taking the both of those and creating a super fear. So in all likelihood, you probably have a little bit of concern of going out and sharing the gospel because not only are you having to talk to strangers, which a lot of us are scared of, but you also have to speak. You have to public speak. You have to be able to share uh, information. And so you may be in the same boat as the disciples of, I don't know what to say. Remember, they weren't the educated elites of their time. They were just fishermen and just regular guys. And so likely, public speaking and deep theological knowledge probably was not on their skill list. And so Jesus took the time to address this potential fear of theirs. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 19, uh, Jesus says this, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious of how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. 
For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So when Jesus addresses the question of, what if I don't know what to say? He says, don't worry. The father will speak through you in that moment. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with verses like this, because on one hand, it says, hey, you don't have to worry about it. The, uh, the Father will speak through you. That takes all the pressure off of me and puts it on God. Hallelujah. We're good with that. Where I have a little bit of problem with it, or not problem, where, where, where I don't love it as much is, what does that even mean? What does that even mean that the spirit of the father will speak through you? Does that mean that like, like God is going to just like turn me into a puppet and I'm just going to start talking? I don't, I don't think so. Does that mean that like I'm not going to have knowledge about a, about a topic and then all of a sudden I will have knowledge about a topic and I'm going to speak? I, I don't know. I've never had that happen to me before. Well, luckily, where the Bible is a little bit confusing, while the Bible at times may appear a little bit confusing, God is not the author of confusion. And so here's, here's a helpful hint. If you ever encounter scripture that seems a little bit confusing, use scripture to interpret scripture. Okay, so luckily Jesus gives greater clarity on this later on. In John uh, chapter 14, Verse 26, he's talking about the Spirit and the role of the Spirit, and he says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus is saying here that the Spirit's job in our journey is to remind us of everything that Jesus has taught us. So I hate to burst your bubble. When it says that the Spirit of your Father will speak for you, that doesn't give you an excuse to not know what you're talking about. You have to know a little bit of what you're talking about, right? To do this, like the Spirit's job is not to turn you into a puppet, it's to remind you of what you've learned from God. And then you take what you've learned from God and what God has said to you, and then just share it with others. That's what evangelism is, really. Like, like when you boil it down, that's just the, the simplicity of it is, you are taking what God has spoken to you and just sharing it with others. Jesus tells the disciples this and Matthew 10, 27, he says this, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. I love that verse. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. My three-year-old daughter, Lottie, is wonderful at this in all of the worst ways possible. So I love to torture my wife, as any good husband does. Like any husbands in here like to just mess with your wives and just like make their lives miserable. Okay, cool. All of you wives can start a support group. Okay. I love to torture my wife and my daughter is getting old enough that I can include her in on my torture. Uh, and so what I'll do is I'll call my daughter who's three years old. I'll call her over and I'll, I'll lean down. I'll be like, hey, Lottie, let's go get mom. Is Randy in the room? Okay. I'll say, I'll say, Lottie, let's go get mom. And Lottie will say, okay. And I'll say, okay. And she'll say, okay. And then I, I get up and then she immediately with the most menacing, sadistic grin on her face will turn to my wife and say, we're gonna get you. And I'm like, no, Lottie, <laughs> you ruined it. We're supposed to sneak up on her. She's not supposed to know. Jesus is saying, be like my daughter in that, in, in that context. 
be like my daughter. Like what you hear whispered to you, proclaim out loud. What you hear God tell you in your own private relationship with him through prayer and studying of the word, now go and take that out into the world and share it with the world. That's what evangelism is. It's very simple. Now here's the kicker. You can't speak to other people what you haven't heard spoke to you. You can't proclaim out loud what you haven't heard whispered to you. So some of you are deeply afraid of sharing the gospel because you don't know what to say. And I will tell you, yes, you should be afraid because you don't know what to say, because you have no clue what you're talking about. And so maybe for some of us, before we even think about going out and sharing the gospel with the world, maybe you need to figure out what the gospel even is. Maybe you need to sit alone with the Lord and just have him whisper to you for a second and just talk to you for a second and figure out what he is. We've got enough Christians out there who have no idea who God is talking for God. It's on Facebook. I hate it. We need people who have actually sat down with God and know who God is and know who the gospel is and can articulate that and go out there. And what the Spirit's job when it says the Spirit of the Father will speak through you, what that means is the Spirit will come in and he will remind you of all of those things that you have learned and he will help you articulate those things. What it doesn't mean is you'll just supernaturally be able to say it. So, if you are one of those people that you're like, man, I'm just terrified because I don't know what to say, lean on God, lean on the Spirit, do your due diligence, but then lean on the Spirit to aid you in those conversations. And, and let's say this, like you just go out there and you start talking. Like, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you have to be a Bible scholar to talk to people. I'm not saying that you have to know the whole Bible. I'm not even saying that you have to have an answer for every single question to be able to talk to people. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm just saying you have to have a functional understanding of who God is and what the gospel is to be able to share the gospel with people. And let's say you're a person, let's say you're talking to someone and then you get into a conversation and they ask you a question that you don't know the answer to. You wanna know what a great answer is? I don't know, <laughs> but I bet I can figure it out for you. It's easy. You don't have to have an answer for everything. But God has called us to share the gospel. And if that terrifies you, lean into who God is, lean into the spirit to help you remember all the things that are going on. Next question uh, that, uh, or concern that you may have is what if I face persecution and hostility in sharing the gospel? And I think that that is increasingly becoming a legitimate concern in our country. I think for the longest time, we have uh, had it very easy here in the United States. Like for a long time, Christianity was the cool thing to do and you didn't really face any repercussions at all in sharing your faith with people. But um, that is not the case for all of history and that's certainly not the case for the rest of the world. Uh, there's an organization called Open Doors and they do a yearly study where they have estimated that over 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. They found last year, 5,621 Christians were murdered, 4,542 Christians were detained, and 2,110 churches were attacked, all for their faith. Now, before us as Americans throw ourselves into these numbers and say, yeah, yeah, we're getting persecuted just along them, uh, here's a map showing it uh, of the highest levels of persecution in the world. America doesn't even make the top 50. You think we have a bad, we don't even know what bad looks like, guys. 
But here, here's what I'm going to say, is that while we do not face the levels of persecution that the rest of the world does, I think we're going to slowly start to get there. If you follow the culture at all, you're going to realize that the culture is increasingly becoming more and more and more hostile to the things of God. Here's a quick example for you uh, this past week that I saw, um, and y'all are either going to love me or hate me by the time I'm done with this. Okay, so... This past week, a guy named uh, Chris Tyson, a story came out about him. Chris Tyson is the right-hand man of a guy named Mr. Beast. I don't know if y'all have heard of him. He uh, is the uh, one of the biggest YouTubers in the entire world. His YouTube channel has like 175 million subscribers. His view count on just his main channel alone has 24.6 billion views. 24.6 billion views on it. So you got Mr. Beast, that's the guy. Chris is his like right-hand man. Well, this past week, Chris came out and announced that he is transgender and is transitioning uh, through hormone replacement drugs to present himself as a woman. Here's the kicker. He has a wife and a two-year-old that he's leaving to do so. Which, by the way, on a side note, a few weeks ago, uh, we had our parenting workshop here and I taught a session on this and I, I pled with parents, hey, be careful who you let your kids watch on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and all these things because all these people who are influencers, no matter how family friendly the content is, behind that content is a person and behind that person is an ideology and that ideology will always creep out. And so now you have this guy who has a platform of 175 million subscribers, 24.6 billion views, and he is uh, out loud proclaiming, hey, we should transition, I'm gonna leave my wife and kid. And by the way, his channel is primarily aimed at kids. Parents, be careful who you let your kids watch online. Aside from that, okay. I was looking up people give commentary on this situation. And in the commentary, they were basically saying, if you disagree with Chris's decision to transition, then you are transphobe and discriminatory. And I was like, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Let's take a step back, take a step back. If I disagree that a guy should not take hormone replacement drugs to present himself as the opposite sex, all while leaving his wife and two-year-old, all while on the largest YouTube channel in the world, primarily aimed at kids. If I say I disagree with that, I'm the bad guy in this situation? That's where our world is, is that when you take common sense um, precautions and common sense stances, the world says, no, you're the bad guy. And that makes complete sense because here's the world's gospel. Here's the world's gospel for you is if it feels good, it is good. If you like it, do it. If you believe it, it's true. If your heart tells you to go, then go. And here's where that rubs up wrong against the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ says this, you are a sinner standing before a holy God. And just because your heart tells you to do something, that doesn't mean that you should do it. And just because you believe something is true, that doesn't make it true. And just because you like something, that doesn't mean it's good for you. 
And even more than that, the actions that you take are going to lead to sin, and that sin is going to separate you from this holy God. And the only way to reconciliation with that God is through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, and he died for you, and he loves you. And that, that's the gospel. And that just rubs so wrong against the world's gospel because it's saying you're not always right. You don't always get to do what you want to do. And so, of course, the world is going to buck back. Of course, the world is going to be hostile to the things of God. We just need to expect it. We need to be ready for it. And Jesus tells the disciples that that's the case. In Matthew 10, verse 25, or verse 24, he says this, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to become like his teacher and the servant like his master, but... If they called the master of the house, referring to himself, Beelzebub, which is another name for Satan, if they called me Satan, how much more are they going to malign those of his household, you? If they came at me with hostility, if they came at me with persecution, what do you think's in store for you? You're wondering, what if I face persecution and hostility? You should be worried, because it's going to happen. He says as much. But he doesn't leave it there. He continues saying this in verse 28. He says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. A verse later it says, And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. And so in the midst of persecution, Jesus is saying, make sure you're not focused on the wrong thing. Persecution is going to happen. That's a legitimate fear. That's a legitimate concern. It's going to happen. But in the midst of that, don't focus on the wrong thing. Your mind is going to go to the focus of who has limited power in this moment. But don't focus on the person who has limited power in this moment. Focus on the person who has no, not only has power over this moment, but has power all over eternity. That's who you need to look to in this. And he goes even further in verse 29. He says this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And so he says, not only do you need to not focus on um, the person who has limited power now, but focus on the person who has power over everything, but with that power, he's in complete control of it all. Not even a sparrow falls to the ground absent God allowing it to happen. And he's saying, if, if that's the case with sparrows, how much more value are you? Whenever you face hostility, whenever you face persecution, whenever you face people maligning you, how much more value are you? And so God is in control of it all and nothing's going to happen to you that he's not going to allow and he's going to be with you through it all. That's what he's saying here. And so if you have a fear in sharing the gospel saying, what if I face persecution and hostility? You will, you will face it. But don't worry, God is with you in the midst of that and he's in control. Now at this point you might say, I see sparrows die a lot. <laughs> I see a lot of sparrows on the ground outside. <laughs> and the answer is yes. Yeah. No sparrow falls dead absent the allowance of God, but that doesn't mean the sparrows don't die. And in the same way, Christians die. 
I mean, I gave you that stat earlier. 5,000 plus Christians died last year, uh, martyred for their faith. Because you're sharing the gospel, that doesn't give you a, a, a get-out-of-death-free card. You might still encounter death, which might lead to the question, the, the last question for us, like, what if I have to give up everything for my faith? And, and the que- answer is yes, you might have to. But know this, that, that you are not going to encounter death. You are not going to encounter losing things absent God being right there with you, allowing that thing to happen. Like, he's right there with you. And you're not going to die a moment before God is okay with you leaving this earth. Jesus says this in Matthew 38. He says, And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now, again, read this in the context. Jesus hasn't died yet. The cross has not become the symbol of Christianity yet. The cross was not this like, yay, Jesus uh, symbol. The cross was a symbol of death, a symbol of the death penalty for traitors. And so he's telling them, whoever does not take up his cross, what he means is there may be a a time in your life where you're going to have to take up your cross and you may have to die. And even if you don't have to die for it, there may be a time that you're going to have to give things up, that you're going to encounter things that you have to lose. But he gives them this encouragement in verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So even if you get to the point that you do have to give things up, that you do have to pay the ultimate price, you're going to get so much more in Christ. And so I don't think anyone in this room, uh, we're probably not at the point yet that any of you face any real uh, threat of dying, but you face other threats. You may lose friends. You may lose jobs. You may lose family members. You may be maligned, gossiped about. There's things that you really might lose. But I think Jesus would say, take up your cross and go. It's worth it. This journey is worth it. Whatever you lose, you'll find in me. And even more so, the the commission that he's calling us to is a commission worthy of that sacrifice. We're talking about people who are lost, broken, separated from God, and God is calling us to be the ambassadors of Christ to take that gospel out to them. In Romans, Paul puts it this way, how beautiful are the feet who preach the gospel, because y'all are the ones that are informing the world of what's going on. And so if you have to give things up, hallelujah, glory to God, because it's worth it. Let me pray that we do that. Lord, we thank you, God, that you love us and that you care for us. And and more than just loving us and caring for us, you love the world and you care for the world. And while it's very easy for us to come uh, into this room week in and week out and high-five each other and have a great time because we have all been saved outside of this room, there are people drowning in sin. There are people on their way to death and hell for eternity. And Lord, you are calling us and commissioning us saying that this gospel isn't just for us, it's for them. And so, Lord, I pray that you put conviction on our hearts that we're not just here for ourselves, 
We're not just here to have a good time, but we're here to hear you whisper to us the things that you have for us. And then we go out and proclaim those to the world. God, convict us of that. Place a calling on our heart for that. Calm our fears, knowing that your spirit is with us. Knowing that even if we face persecution, even if we face hostility, even if we have to give things up, we know that you are there right there with us in control of it all. And you love us. And that whatever we lose, we're gonna find in you. Give us a spirit of boldness to go out into the world. We're gonna move into a time of invitation and really this time is just for you to respond however God is calling you to respond. And so I don't know where you are today. I don't know, you may be an all-star evangelist that you're constantly telling people about the gospel or you may be a person who's never spoken about Jesus to a soul outside of this room. Maybe you just need to sit with God for a moment and just ask him to place um, concern on your heart for the world to give you conviction to go take the gospel out into the world. Maybe you're a person who you're just, you would love to share the gospel. You're just terrified of all these things. And maybe you just need to pray to God and just have God give you a boldness and remind you that he is there with you. Maybe you're a person that you just have sin in your life and you just feel like your life is not right with the Lord and you can't take the gospel out to others before you get your life right with the Lord. However God is moving in your life, we just ask that you do it here. You can stay in your seats and pray. You can come up to the altar and pray. We would love to talk to you if you need that. However God is working in your life, this is just the time for you to do that. Can we all stand up? We're gonna stand and we're gonna sing. And again, however God is working in your life, you do it.